Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hey everybody, Anthony here. Uh, when we're not playing games, my kids and I love arts and crafts. My daughter has been known to stay up way too late, behind a sheet, drawing and gluing in secret. So we go through a lot of supplies, and frequently we run out of projects for her. Let's Make Art takes the guesswork out of picking paint and art supplies for new projects, offering top quality supplies that are perfect for the kids and the rest of us. The kids can learn art and lettering from professional instructors, and subscription boxes for ages 5 to 11 are full of the materials and tutorials needed for fun and creative projects. Let's make art simple, together. Check out Let's Make Art today by going to our special link, zen.ai slash boardgamersanonymous. That's zen.ai slash boardgamersanonymous to get 20% off. Coupon code is activated at checkout. Podcast of board gamers and the fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 373. Don't follow the rules, games. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome, everybody. So glad to have you join us at the table this week. Don't worry, there's no rules. We're not playing by any rules this week. At least, you know. Board game rules, so so to chaos, speak. chaos reigns, ah! <laughs> anarchy. Yes, it's like every time I play a game with my children, half the rules don't count because they don't like them. <laughs> it's true. Or if you play with a, you know your own particular game group, or depending on their level of an you know intoxication, so to speak, 
That can also be another thing. Or their attention span, that could be a thing. Or any number of reasons that when you get a game to a table, sometimes sometimes there are good reasons too, right? Sometimes the, the rules don't matter or the scoring doesn't matter. And sometimes you're just sitting down to have fun. And sometimes games can be fun in different ways, you know? House rules here, don't score there. You know, play just for the fun of the game. Look at the pretty pictures on the cards. So we have the games that we recommend you don't follow the rules i can't believe we're doing this episode <laughs> this is what happens when you get to 373 you're like nah the rules don't count anymore it's fine <laughs> i think so i absolutely think so so yeah so this is going to be a fun feature review i'm sure many of you have your own suggestions and games that you've house ruled or skipped the scoring or done a number of crazy things so there's a lot to talk about about that but Anthony, we already got some of that. And again, people clearly, I guess in this case, following the rules, talking about their own games they don't follow. So what's our question of the week? Right. Yes. <laughs> the irony. It's strong. I know. Uh, question of the week this week was, what games do you play without certain rules or scoring? So a little broader than our question, uh-huh. our yeah, own yeah. discussion this week, we're talking about like maybe leaving out certain rules or leaving out certain scoring, but we got a lot of good stuff. So um, we have at the, at the top of the list, Aaron says we usually ignore the scoring at the end of Marvel legendary. So just trying to beat the game. And I would agree with this on yes, all cooperative games, any cooperative game that has scoring for individual players at the end. Yes. Throw that out. That's not the point yes. of a co-op. <laughs> it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Adam mentions concept, which we are going to talk about a little bit later, but the the whole point of the game is all people getting to guess, right? Could you care less about the Mm -hmm. points? I agree, Adam. We agree. We're going to talk about it later. Yes. Chris mentions just one, another cooperative party game. It does have a scoring mechanism. You're supposed to try to get a certain number of, as a group, a certain number of guesses correct. I don't think I've ever played that way, but I'm aware of the rules because I've brought this game to my classroom and I've had to explain the rules. Um, Even they didn't play with the rules after I told them to. So, yeah, it's a bad rule. Ignore it. Uh, Francesco mentions space base, removing that one single card that removes points from other players. And uh, several other people mentioned this idea, like Rodney also mentioned removing any games that have take or any cards from the game that have take that elements when there's very few take that elements in the game uh i could agree with this one as well like when a game is broadly just a euro game at heart and then it has like five cards and a giant deck of 200 that are take that cards get those cards out of the deck just get them out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, ac mentions with acceptance uh, this kind of fits as a response to the question. Tapestry during income only. and Draw two pa- tapestry cards. Choose one and discard the other. Uh, space base. Remove the level three cards. that lets a player have the other player's points reduced. Same thing that uh, Francesco mentioned previously. Uh, honestly, like I see this one a lot. People, like when you're supposed to draw a card, just making it so you draw more cards and have more options to choose from. That's, that's a pretty common ignoring of the rules. Um, just to have more options uh, available to you. Uh, Corey mentions and admits that it's blasphemous, but says they play Dead of Winter fully cooperative, removing the semi-cooperative option. There are no traitors. 
I don't know if I agree with that one, but uh, it depends on your game group. I could see that, you know, being important. So yeah, lots of good ones. We're going to have more of our own later, but uh, you know, there's a lot of games out there that you just, you know, certain rules just don't sit right. You just don't want to play with them or the way they're written, or maybe there's certain cards thrown into the deck that Mm -hmm. you just don't want them to be there. So you ignore them and move on. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of games that, surprisingly enough, the rules of scoring make the game a lot less fun. It's not necessarily an intentional kind of skirting of the rules and complete anarchy and burning down the system, cats and dogs <laughs> living together. No, it's it's just like, hey, we've discovered a better way to play this. And or, you know what, if we add a little of this or take a little of that out, just life is so much better. So sometimes, and you know, I guess funny enough, I, I guess one other thing, Anthony, we should probably throw in here we won't talk about it in our future, but I know this happens a lot. Unfortunately, you play through a game and you also maybe, I don't know, get a rule wrong. No. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, hey, it's a variant. We're playing with the variant. So therefore, <laughs> let's continue to play the game. And you're like, wasn't supposed to be like this. But nonetheless, it's still fun. So, you know, yeah. those things happen as well. So that's that's always like a little caveat as far as games are concerned right anytime you get the rules wrong you're always playing by a game that's not playing by the rules so yeah that'll be our feature review and again if uh you don't want to follow the rules and absolutely do not want to respond to the question of the week absolutely positively do not do not go to facebook and twitter boardgamersanonymous.com because you know there's questions of the week there each and every week and we totally don't want you to respond to them we don't want to hear from you it doesn't make a difference to us and we don't care <laughs> nobody clip that it's it's no one. contextual don't do it <laughs> yeah it's it's reverse psychology i don't i, I don't know why i said that no no, <laughs> no. Go ahead and do those things. We want you to do those things. Yeah, we want to hear from all of you out there. You're all part of the table. It's not just Anthony and I. It's you who's listening. So please, shout out to us. Let's hear you. It's not just our voices that matter. It's everyone's that matter. So get all those different voices to the table and shout it out. We want to hear from you, you know, early and often. Looking for something new and interesting to listen to? Twice a week, hosts Edward and Mike take a deep dive into the early Marvel Universe in Super Serious 616. With a goal to cover every issue of Marvel Comics starting at the beginning, Super Serious 616 explores what the real-world ramifications would be if events from the comics were really happening. Listen at www.superserious616.com or sign up for a newsletter for an issue summary and exploration of its significance in the comic book world. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that everyone's talking about. But, you know, maybe they're not following the rules and they're yelling out their answers right now. So, you know, who knows? They don't, they're not rules followers. But let's get on to the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So I'm going to kick things off here with... Uh, this is unnecessarily complicated to pronounce because that's how I roll. Uh, Oranienburger Canal. Uh I think I did that actually. Sure. I, think I got that one down. Uh, wow, it's, it's the new OV Rosenberg game. It's on Game Found uh-huh. right now from Spielworks, and it's actually not doing. I mean, it's funded, so you're definitely going to 
get it if you back it, but it's not doing like gangbusters numbers that I would expect from an Uwe Rosenberger game on crowdfunding in general. So uh, I guess there's a couple of reasons why that might be. First, Spielworks is a company that has published a lot of amazing games, but they're not as well known as some of the other big ones because they historically would only publish a thousand copies of a game at a time. And then someone else will pick it up and expand on that, right? So they've switched over to crowdfunding in recent years and their games have gotten a little more traction, but not as much, right? Two, the game only plays one to two players. So those games in general tend to have a smaller base of people interested in them. I am one of them, (laughs) all on board of this. Uh, Fields of Aura was one of my favorite games of all time, and that started as a one to two player game. There's an expansion that brings it up to three players, but... The base game was one to two. It was awesome, big sandbox. Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game. Loved it. So this one is actually not in the same like family of those worker placement style games. Oranienberger Canal draws on the things that made Aura and Labora, Glass Road, Lahav, such good games. It's using the wheel that you have in Glass Road and to some degree or in Labora where like the resources are on this different wheel that like the, the different the little handles, the clock wheels, whatever move around. Um, and, you know, it's doing similar things with other games. You're planning and building new industrial areas. You're using that wheel. Um, there's a deck of cards as well that you're drawing from because it's a Rosenberg game, so of course. And you're building different buildings and shaping the infrastructure of the canal. So you have your like personal player boards in which you're doing these things. Um, and so there's like all these different elements to it. Are you raising paths, building roads, laying tracks, excavating different parts of the canal? Uh, but it's very tight, right? It's not such a broad sweeping scope of a game that honestly, a lot of Rosenberg games in recent years have been pretty broad and sweeping in scope. This one definitely narrows it down quite a bit. Um, you know, it's only an hour long. It's very tight. You have a limited number of actions. Uh, it's only one or two players. So I, I it reading through the basic rules, like it, the way the seven rounds are kind of structured, it feels like it was designed as a two-player game. All Rosenberg games kind of have a solo version to them. Um, sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're just like practice modes. We'll see on this one. Uh, but it really seems like a tight, quick, accessible approach to this you know, genre of mechanic that he's built into his games in the last few years. So I'm super excited for this. I love almost all of Rosenberg's games. Uh, I'm, I'm famous for disliking one of his best games in Agricola, but almost everything else he's put out, I've really enjoyed. And I love the idea of bringing back this kind of wheel mechanic from Glass Road and Oren Labora, games that have kind of languished. You know, they, they've gone in and out of print a bunch of times in the last 10 years, but They've never really hit that high point that they should have um, that his worker placement games, his more traditional worker placement games have. And like when he makes a strictly two player game, those games tend to be amazing. Like Fields of Arl is amazing. Patchwork is amazing. I'm hopeful this game is also amazing. So uh, I'm psyched to see how it works. I've backed it on GameFound. It's not crazy expensive. It's 49 euros, which right now is $50 because they're pretty close to even. Um, shipping is probably insane. I don't remember, but it's shipping on everything in the world right now. is insane. So what are you going to do? Um, but it's Spielworks. So if you want it, this is probably the only way to get it until someone else picks it up. 
So uh, that is Iranian Burger Canal. It's on GameFound right now for two more weeks, and uh, it looks good. I'm excited for it. Yeah, for shipping, it's another 25 euros to the U.S. Ugh. I think Canada's 27. Rest of Europe is 20 euros. And if you're in Germany, where obviously everything should be less euros, seven euros, seven euros. And yeah. but yeah, 25, you know, for U.S. is a lot of euros. Um, it is. So if you, it's if tough you can spare though. A euro, like... <laughs> yeah, I, know, I I saw there's threads going around right now about like Simon raising the shipping costs on uh, uh, Zombicide, the the, mo- the most recent with Marvel yes. movies, because they had yes. all those boxes, and so people are spending so much money to get that game shipped, and it's just what it costs right yeah. now to get anything shipped. And like, I'm not a fan of that, but at yeah. the same time, it's part of crowdfunding we all crowdfund everything now so shipping's really expensive so maybe we should get games into retailers so we don't have to do that that'd be great yeah i mean i feel like at some point everything comes full circle and i almost want to see all games come retail these days just because any little bit of money that i might be saving by kickstarting backing a game no matter where it's at i'm just you know, getting killed by the shipping. So yeah. maybe you send a maybe you send a couple couple of pallets over to a game store, you know, somewhere, and therefore the shipping's not as bad because they're buying a couple of pallets, and therefore MSRP is actually more attractive than backing something online. Which is, I never thought we would get to that point, but we're here, right? Or maybe you produce a game, you know, in each country. This is not like you're not these games are not made out of some like alien material. It's basically yeah. <laughs> paper and cardboard. Like maybe you just produce the game in multiple countries. So that shipping's not so crazy. I mean, it's uh, let's be honest, right? Forever. We've benefited from like incredibly silly, stupid, cheap shipping, right? Like the idea that like in the United States, especially we've benefited by that, you know, more than probably anybody else in the world, but we'll get our food that will be grown in like South America, processed in China, and then shipped to the US. It's just like, why? Like that, like you're literally going around the world for, uh, I don't know. Weird. I don't, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you here. Like I saw this. I, I don't know if I told you about this, like you knew about it, but I found it on GameFound. And I think there's a lot of problems with the board game industry in communicating to their customers. And these kickstarting game found Indiegogo projects have always been a big problem because especially back in the day, what you had was a designer or a publisher who was not a marketing person, advertising, public relations person, you know, and and maybe they only spoke one language and they always had such a hard time communicating their greatness in this game and now what you you keep doing or what you're doing here is like, this is like, honestly, Anthony, and I know, like, you can't say anything wrong about Uwe Rosenberg. You just can't. But this is one of the most bland, generic yeah. campaigns and even looking games, which again, look, I'm a Euro gamer. Like, I, I'm the last one to complain about these, these things, except maybe 18 double X people. But like, this is also a bland <laughs> looking game. I mean... The camp, I just, everything about this is just, it's hard to to be excited. 
yeah. I can't argue that it's bland looking. And part of that is like Spielworks is just like, here's the game. It's blah, it's bland, yeah. it's blah. It's, it's, what, it's what they do, right? Um, the reason I'm excited, though, is obviously there's multiple pedigrees there, right? You have the designer, you have the games that it's based on, and you have the two-player, one-player focus. If those three things don't appeal to you, then the like going to the campaign is not going to do it. This is not a big, flashy, impressive production. So I can't argue with no. you on any of that. Um, it, it did it for me because I checked all three of those boxes. But if it doesn't check those boxes for you, then, yeah, it's going to look pretty boring. I mean, it is, though. I mean, it's a boring looking game. I mean, is that yeah. is that a bad thing to say? Can we can we say that? Is the mic on? No, no, I agree. Yeah, it's been, totally boring. I've it's been, the only reason I've been it's a lot. <laughs> it's enticing <laughs> it's to me take. because of the other things. It's not enticing because it oh, looks yeah. exciting. <laughs> like, no, and, and again, I didn't recognize, like, look, Uwe Rosenberg games have been, you know, the graphic design has come from endless numbers of people, right? So, but I looked at this and I did not recognize this. Now, mm. obviously in part, because when I think, Uwe Rosenberg games, I think Clement Franz, right? His artwork is so, you know, ubiquitous with, with Uwe Rosenberg games, like Agricola and Caverna, you know, all of those, or Labora, you like, that's, that's his guy, right? It's, and it's just, this is like devoid of that kind of stuff. And, and again, that's not necessarily a good thing, but again, like, like you said, like the pedigree here, you should not, it's not a complaint and I'm not having a major problem with it. It's just one of those things where the bar has been so upped at this point, right? Mm, and I'll talk about yeah. that in a minute. But the bar has been so highly raised. It's You could have gotten away with this game 20 years ago. Like This would have been like the average or even the height of graphic design and artistic display and thematic integration. And now it's just like, you know, what time machine loop have i dropped into that i'm looking at something that is so i don't know it's it's not even print and play quality from the look of it i don't know i you know it's Uwe rosenberg you can't complain about that and again maybe it's a throwback right maybe it's so bad that it's good that's that's how i'm looking at it right is it so it's not that bad (laughs) i don't know i i mean look judge for yourself it's on game found i think it's so bad looking that it might be good looking but I don't know. I mean, like, even the cards. Come on, the cards, right? Like, that is... I don't know. All right. I will have you all take a look at it, and you let us know. We will do something to to talk about it more. But I hope it's a great game. I really do. I'm really... I mean, anything that Uwe Rosenberg does, as you said, Anthony, especially with the the smaller two-player kind of things, is always his kind of, you know, wheelhouse. So, yeah. Okay. Now, let's talk about literally the opposite now. Uh, I don't even know how to talk about this, Anthony. (laughs) So when we do acquisition disorders, typically we do acquisition disorders about games that we would love to have part of our collection, something we'd love to get to the table that we do not have. And this has been a very problematic uh, feature of our podcast because as we try to talk to you about these games and maybe even hype these games up a little bit, it just makes typically, and and this has happened to, I think both of us, Anthony, by the time we get through the acquisition disorders, I would say there's a good number of times where we've just backed the game, right? Like we just come out and like, you know, what, I just got to back this now. Right. (laughs) Now this, so, you know, so now that with Kickstarters, everything is so incredibly expensive. 
it just really changed the dynamic so dramatically. And again, there's larger conversations being had in the, the, the board game industry about this. And I would love to talk about that. But again, we would just go completely off track here. Anunnaki, Dawn of the Gods on Kickstarter, a 4X hybrid Euro game by Simone Luciani and Daniel Sabia. Develop your own alien civilization game amongst ancient cities, gods, and space travel. So basically, the thematic storyline here is that all of the pantheon of gods that we've come to know on Earth were actually alien civilizations that have now come to Gaia, have now come to some version of Earth in order to play out a civilization conquering 4X game. So awesome, right? Like this is literally what Marvel is doing right now. So you have everything from the Norse gods, although legally distinct. You have the uh, Babylonian gods that come into play. You have you have all of the Roman and the Greek gods and the Egyptian gods. And again, this is one of those campaigns, and I'll talk about this. I'm running out of breath because, again, there's so much content in this game. But this has... <laughs> You know, all of the different pantheons of gods, awesome, right? The Japanese gods, the South, I mean, again, just endless number of pantheons of gods that you can come play a game with, right? So you understand this because you're gamers and you're listening to a board game podcast. Well, I say 4X, you know, you're exploring, you're expanding, you're exterminating all the fun X's of board gaming, right? So this should be my thing. Like, there's no question about it. Right, you got all the pantheons of gods. Love that mythology. Totally on board for that. Solid. The four X, excellent. Love Euro games. This is great. Miniatures that are in the game. Tech trees, man. I love tech trees all day long. So you're saying to me, Chris, what? What's the problem? Well, the problem is this game is insanely expensive. Like crazy, insanely expensive. So, for example, if you do want to get and again, this is really the normal pledge. They call it the mythic pledge, but it's just really like, do you want just the base game that has practically nothing in it? Or do you want the game, which is 174 mm. euros? 174 what? euros. <laughs> now again, we'll have to check our euro calendar versus this, but we're talking all the monies, Anthony, right? I, I think we're, we're yeah. beyond no, you know, currency exchange. We're just talking about all the money. Now, I haven't even gotten to the shipping cost because the shipping cost, again, anytime you back any of these gigantic games, you know that especially when the game comes with all the miniatures in it, these things are going to be heavy. A lot of boxes are going to come to your door. And now the shipping is incredibly expensive as well. Not to mention that these games always do, and this game especially does have all these kind of add-ons. So expanded boards, metal coins. Why metal coins? Because, of course, metal coins, right? So these are the, the people who brought us Barrage, right? So that big, giant, chunky, all the game that comes along into this. I like everything about this game, as far as I can tell, is tangible, right? Anthony and I were talking before the podcast started that the miniatures, which are just these really cheaply looking 3D renderings, which again, we're hoping are not actually what the game is, but probably will be. Beyond that. It looks great. I love a 4X. Now, this game is interesting as well 
because basically you're taking your token and you're moving it around your own particular player board. And as you do that, you're taking different actions on your player board. As you circle around and take different actions, you are circling around certain tokens on the board, which will allow you to summon minor and then major gods. So those take the place of your worshipers out on the board. And of course, your minor and major gods have like crazy powers. Now, awesome, right? And again, you're doing the same thing where you're you're doing resources collections and you're turning your resources into upping your tech tree and to recruiting more troops, all the kind of fun stuff that comes with a 4X game. Love it. Again, painfully expensive. And again, we've talked about this a little bit that we've kind of gotten to the point where these beautiful 4X games, especially with all these miniature games, are such a, such a high cost that it makes it nearly impossible, if not impossible, to back these games. So I, I'm, I was at a loss with this because this was one of those things where, like, it did, um, you know, it, it was such a high financial cost for this. Like I said, 174 euros plus, for the U.S. market, another 36 euros, okay? And everywhere else still pretty much the same, 36 euros in, in Europe and you know, 25 in some other places. And then obviously, and I feel bad for those other countries where it's 70 and 90 years. So love the game. Love the the concept of the game. I should probably say love the mechanics of the game. Love what this game should be about all of these different pantheons of gods that are using technologies instead of like magic and such to conquer different areas, do kind of basic battles, right? So your troops come to a board you, you fight each other based on the number of troops you have. Each of the troops, depending on their size, have like one, two, or three. So they're different strengths. You play cards. The artwork here is absolutely gorgeous. Cannot afford this game. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Hey, but you know what, Anthony? Nobody can afford this game. They actually canceled the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So Cranial Creek. It's yeah. funny because you said. Tell them. Yeah, no, you sent this to me, and I was, like, gearing up for, like, a big rant. Like, don't back it. I was going to be like, don't back it, everybody. This is terrible. We got to make a stand. And apparently you're everybody's in, in already yeah. on it, right? You're already making the stand. No one's backing the game. Uh, I mean, it has backers, but clearly not enough for what they wanted. <laughs> so. Yeah, I Cranial Creations, again, especially with their Kickstars, Barrage had all the kinds of problems. Great game. Great game but all the kinds of problems. And that was a very expensive game. We've already, Anthony, you and I talked about Lorenzo, you know, that, that the deck that we bought for a wonderful mm-hmm. game that was mostly take that cards and literally the worst board game, video game I've ever played. So this could have been a thing was hoping to be a thing, a four X hybrid Euro game. And yet they made literally all the mistakes by charging all the monies and having all these additional things. But thankfully, I guess they have seen the error of the ways and will kind of relaunch this at a later point. So Anunnaki, Dawn of the Gods canceled, but will be returning at some point. Hopefully somehow they bring down the crazy and make the game financially viable for people. And again, Maybe they just sell the the base game. I know this is crazy, everybody. I'm just going to say this out loud because, again, (laughs) I know I have a lot of hot takes on this episode, so I'm probably going to get canceled by all this. But, like, just release the base game. 
make it affordable, we'll get to play it, and if we like it, we'll back all the extra expansions and stuff, okay? Do, do, do you get it, mm. Creations? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, because no. I can't back a $250 game if I've never played it. I'm sorry. Ah, I want to, can't do it. <laughs> just like... It's so crazy. I, it's just, it's so crazy that anybody thinks this will work. And I know it's worked in like isolated situations, but it worked in those isolated situations because of those situations. Like people are going to back stuff on filled games that are based on games they already know and add all these weird extras like signatures and coins. People are going to back crazy miniatures from Simon because it's Simon and they have that loyal base, but Cranio doesn't have that loyal no. base. Even though they make amazing games, their Kickstarters have been terrible. <laughs> like all of them have been terrible. They haven't run a good Kickstarter yet. And these miniatures don't look that good. And the base pledge is barely a game. So yeah, it's that's that's a portion of the rant you all would have gotten if this had still been. Oh up, no, there was... it's not up, so I'm gonna hold it. Yeah, they, so... they would have been sincerely a lot more. Again, I'm I'm I guess I'm glad that they pulled the car. <laughs> off the road because this was not going good and again there's a lot a lot more to say with shipping and honestly i i do think they kind of i don't know like again it's hard to know again we we spend a lot of time investigating and reading into the the cost of producing a game and the shipping costs things like this and you can never be sure everyone has their own deals and the situation the world is kind of upside down right now and we just talked about this earlier but look I am the kind of person that, and I did, I backed all Marvel United, the X-Men series. And I actually backed all of Marvel United. Like, again, I will back a crazy amount of stuff and pay for the shipping to do that. But at some point, and I honestly, I think we're there. I think we're at the point where I'm going to give up. And I've done this with other games, and it's broken my heart a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm down for it now. I'm willing to let these games go to retail. Because, yeah, I'll miss out on all the extra stuff, but, you know, Marvel United X-Men came out, I think, on Amazon or something for, like, 20 bucks. And I'm like, and how much did I spend on this and the shipping? And I could get the get mm. the base game for $20 with no shipping? Huh. So this might be the game. We might look back at this time together and go, what game was in the game that broke Chris? It was this one, my friends. <laughs> the cost of this game, this was the game. Because again, amazing designers, Anthony, like you said, the pedigree, like you backed the Uwe Rosenberg game. That's incredible shipping as well. Uh, thankfully, the game price was down, right? So it was it was what more manageable as yeah. far as the game was concerned. But yeah, this might be it. We might have to change the acquisition disorder to like, cannot... <laughs> acquire this whatsoever do not acquire do not acquire like <laughs> danger oh danger too expensive just way 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 too expensive i mean again it's one of those situations and we've talked about this a little bit and again those of you who follow board game twitter like manda Petinkin trying to play wingspan and recognizing it was too difficult or too steep of a climb because there's just too many things to keep in mind Right. And that's Wingspan, right? Wingspan, I think generally the board game public sees as maybe a gateway game, maybe a little bit more. Now imagine playing something like this, a 4X Euro game, and having to drop like 200, 250 on this game. And it has like 10 times more mechanics. So 
I'm down for it, but if I'm down for it and I can't afford it or I'm down for it and it's crazy and I'm not backing it, I really want people to know that. I just think I think we're there, man. Like there was a silver age of board gaming, there was a gold age of board gaming, and now we're in the Bitcoin age of board gaming. And it just doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't. Like can't afford it, doesn't make sense. You're throwing random things up there. I don't know. It's NFTs all over the place, bro. Just saying. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. You're breaking it. Stop breaking things. Stop it. Cranio, Queen Games, Simon. Who else we got? Stop it. Bad, bad, bad publishers. Bad. (laughs) All right. Well, those are the acquisition disorders that we're crying about. Let's get to the games that hit the table. Let's talk about our at-the-table games, Anthony. All right. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so I backed a game uh, not too long ago, like I think early, the beginning of this year, actually, and then they shipped it pretty fast, uh, called Ham's Sandwich Shop. So a little backstory is needed here. My daughter uh, absolutely loves hamsters, and the reason why she loves hamsters is I got her a little stuffed hamster at Gen Con when she was a year old. It She named it Hammy, and she's had it ever since. She carries it everywhere with her. Wear with her. It's gray now. There's no features left. The hands have fallen Aww. apart. The feet have fallen off. It's but it's it's her hammy and it's everything to her, right? And so we've over the years I've found other members of this family. It's some kind of hamster TV show or line of products from Japan, <laughs> um, which because I bought it at Gen Con was very hard to find other pieces from. But I have found them because she loves them That's so fantastic. much. So she's got like ten of them. So this game went up on Kickstarter called Ham Sandwich Shop. Uh, it's from Graphic Three Three Five and designed by Kengo Otsuka. Uh, it's from Japan, and it's produced in Japan. It's shipped out of Japan. The campaign is in Japanese. All the updates that came through were also in Japanese. When I got the game in the mail, the rules were in Japanese. I had to download the English PDF and print it out. Um, but it was all worth it because the game is very cute and it was a lot of fun to play with my kids. So in the game, you are a hamster chef working at a sandwich shop and story. I don't think kids anime. It doesn't have to make a lot of sense, but you're making sandwiches and you're, you're losing money. People are not interested in your sandwiches anymore until the hamsters start falling on the sandwiches. And it's so cute because they're making them so hands on, which also is kind of gross because you don't want your hamster on your sandwich, but whatever. Um, so the game has a whole bunch of tiles, like 90, I think, of these big, chunky tiles that represent different ingredients. So we've got tomatoes, cucumbers, lettuce, cheese, eggs, and bread. Uh, and so you put all these things together to make sandwiches. Um, you also have your own little stack of hamsters who are holding additional ingredients. Uh, So you create this big line of ingredients and you move the hamster chef around like you do in patchwork and you choose one of the three tiles in front of you, place it on one of the available sandwiches and then move on. If you pass one of the seeds that the hamsters like to eat, the sesame seeds, you then get to place one of your hamsters from your hand down on a sandwich. The other player or players, it's two to three players, don't know what's on the hamster. You do. So you might be changing the composition of that sandwich at any time if the hamster is in a place where the three ingredients in front of them match 
at least three ingredients on the sandwich, you can declare the sandwich complete. You close it. You score the points. Uh, but because of those hamsters that are face down, some of which delete ingredients, like they eat them, uh, you you never quite know. So it's 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 a push your luck game basically, and it's a lot of fun because it's cute. It has a lot of very tactile you know components to it. Everything about it's very highly stylized, and it, it looks very you know it's very kid friendly in that way. The rules are fairly straightforward. Um, I w- I wouldn't say the translation was super clear, but it was. I didn't struggle too much with it. I don't think I would give this to somebody who wasn't familiar with games of this type to try to figure it out, but I worked through it. We played it. Uh, we had a lot of fun. So this game is now on the shelf. Uh, my daughter loves it, which I figured she would. <laughs> it's hamsters making cute sandwiches. Um, it takes 20 minutes to play. It's very uh, accessible. There's just enough skill involved for it to be replayable and interesting, but also just enough luck involved that, kids can kind of engage with it i would not say this is really good for anybody outside of like a family setting because it is so basic of a game um i also don't know really know where you would get the game outside of the kickstarter where i bought it because it was shipped from japan and uh it did take some time to get here so you know that being what it is maybe they'll post it again in the future but ham sandwich shop it was very cute it was very fun the the whole campaign cost like 30 dollars too after conversions um, from yen so it was very accessible and was not crazy priced and there was a lot of cardboard in the box so (laughs) very happy with this purchase um i I will keep my eye on uh this particular publisher because just cute accessible fun and it was just very well designed it it looks pretty (coughs) so that's ham sandwich shop also i think called little little foodie in japan yeah this game's really adorable this is this is the opposite of the Uwe and Rosenberg game we were just talking about. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just like I, I I can't imagine this game having much depth to it, but I kind of want to no, back this no, it now. Doesn't. <laughs> it's it's really a cute yeah. game. It's a I mean all the components. It, it seems it fits really well together. It seems like it makes thematic sense, and it's got some really cute adorable add-ons i mean who doesn't like little tiny hamsters eating little tiny sandwiches so sure i know know. yeah and it like the hamsters go in the sandwich too which some people worried about so like in the back of the rule book it says the hamsters are not part of the sandwich you will not be eating hamsters (laughs) so it's just like just making sure you're all clear on this hamsters are making the sandwiches it is very cute you're allowed to be you know awed by this it's not gross okay it's like, okay, good. Seems like a complete... Because veg- my daughter did ask. It did oh, happen, yeah. So. That would be sad. I mean, it looks like a complete vegetarian sandwich. So no hamsters were yeah. harmed yep. in the making of the sandwich. That's that's a good thing because, yeah, I, I, I could see how that looks like. Because they're, they're as flat as the other components. <laughs> I was kind of concerning there for a second. Yep. <laughs> just like, and what are the Japanese doing with uh, hamsters? Oh, okay. It's just fine. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, this is, this is yep. adorable. So, sure. All right. I, my friends, I have traveled long and I have traveled far and I am back to give you my final account on Sleeping Gods. Now I talked about Sleeping Gods for, geez, it seems like forever now at this point, way back to episode 371 where I did my initial review. But since the campaign does take so long, it does in fact, 
I couldn't give you a full review of the game until at least I finished completely one of the campaigns and did so with like real gusto. Like I wasn't going to shortchange it whatsoever. I was going to play out every different scenario. I was going to do all the things, at least as far as one campaign is concerned. I should preface this whole statement. I have not seen every ending. Sleeping Gods is a Ryan Lockett Red Raven game, and it's about being part of the ship crew that is exploring these mysterious isles, and they want to get back home, but the only way, according to the story, they can get back home is by awaking these sleeping gods who will then, you know, give you permission or magical powers to return back, but pretty much everybody else, although there are, you know, a lot of different things to see, and I haven't seen all the things, but the pretty much the consensus is like, hey, yeah, don't wake the sleeping gods. That's kind of a bad thing. So there's some questions about whether or not to wake them. And that's primarily what the ending of the story is. The rest of the game is basically managing a co-op of different players on the board. So each of you, or if you play solo, and again, I'll go into more detail in a little bit, I do recommend Solo as a way to play this game, but shh, that's, that's a spoiler. So each of you will manage a number of characters on the boat. Each of these different characters have special abilities, and you'll be able to equip them with additional abilities, weapons throughout the game. And as you explore, you explore together. As you take damage, you take damage together. As you gain benefits, you split the benefits and the experience and the upgrades together. And as you battle, you all battle together. There's no traitor element in this game. And you're all basically playing all the characters together. The only difference is the number of players that do play in the game. You have to split up the action tokens. So in some cases, it's easier to have more players because the, the management of everything on the board and the more action tokens that you have available as far as those things are concerned. And then on the other end, you do spend a lot of downtime in the game. Now, while everyone is involved and active throughout, and there is a lead player or captain in that kind of you know turn, primarily you're all making those decisions together. So basically on your turn, the, the, the turns are pretty simple. It's nothing really complicated. It's the same thing over and over again. Basically, what you're going to be able to do is take an action on the ship that primarily is going to give you action tokens that will allow you to do things on your character cards or purchase special abilities, upgrades for your own particular characters. Once you do that, you see what the event happens to have waiting for you. It could be calm seas, dangerous seas, or like crazy, catastrophic, bad stuff. You will resolve that card. Sometimes the cards are okay. But most of the times, the cards are challenging, downright destructive. Once you get through that, you get to take two actions. The actions are typically move, but you can also go to the markets. You can also go to the ports. You can also explore. Now, exploring is the biggest action in the game because what you basically do is this archipelago of all these different islands out there. You will look at the numbers on this storybook that's open up and available for you. And based upon where your ship is, you will take a look at the number. You will read the section of the book. And then in a very choose-your-own-adventure kind of situation, you'll make decisions. And those decisions usually come down to having a particular check in which you'll have to look at how many of your characters have a particular symbol. And then you'll flip a card. And that card will add to your support. 
And there's other ways to boost it up and, you know, other cards that will support you because beyond your particular characters, you'll be able to pull in crew and special abilities throughout the game that will be essential. You cannot win the game with just the characters alone. You need all these special abilities because a lot of these abilities heal up damage because you will take a lot of damage in this game. Pretty much that's it. As you go through the game, you gain these quest cards, you gain these adventure cards, and they give you keywords and they give you special abilities throughout, and they lead you on an adventure to do like these little mini quests. So one spot might say, hey, I heard something was going on in this village. You should run over there. So you go run over to the village. And yeah, there was, turns out there was something happening there. And if you have a particular keyword, it opens up a number of options. And typically, if you have the keywords, almost always good. Once in a while, not so good, but almost always good. And that leads you to other little stories throughout the, the different map board. Once you go through, I guess, the deck three times. So basically, there's, I think, uh, 56 cards, if I remember correctly, or so. It's I think it's, I don't know if it's 18, 18, 18. I think it's three decks of 18. Once you get to through all the cards, and then you get through some special things in the book, how all the different adventures adds up, so it's cards, and then adventures in the book, I think it comes down to 56. Once you get that all done, then you finally get your ending. And your ending can be a number of different things based upon the keywords that you have available to you, the different quests that you've resolved or are still active as part of your crew, and based upon all the totems that you pick up in the game, and it will give you options. And again, it's still that storybook mode, and you really come, you know, confronted by the sleeping gods and some variation of the other. You see if your keywords match up, you see if all of your equipment and things add up, you make decisions, and you get an ending. That's it. Period. Now, there is an additional, depending on how many points you score, that's how many points you score. I could not find in the rulebook or on Board Game Geek, you know, what is a great point score kind of situation. That's a lot of cards, it's a lot of points, a lot of things that you've accomplished. It's just to give you an idea of like how many things you did and how well supposedly you did. So that's really not a game rule. Uh-huh. We'll talk about that in a second. That I think anyone needs to follow, right? You completed the game. You got an ending. There are a lot of endings in this game. We got one of the endings. I think it was number six, if I remember correctly. And it did a thing. I'm not going to spoil it for you because you might play this game. But the ending obviously wrapped up the campaign as far as, you know, the interaction with the sleeping gods and, and the other people that came into play in the game. But it gave us a very limited ending with very limited outcomes from only, I think, two members of our crew. Now, again, other endings might give you more crew endings, might give you a bigger part of the story, or maybe a less shorter part of the story, or maybe just one character. Sleeping Gods is about playing the game over multiple times. It's made that way. It's built that way. That's the idea of the game. You want to get all the different endings to find out what happened to the crew of the Manticore. It's interesting. It's dynamic. It's got that Cthulhu-esque feel to it but at no time was it ever like cosmic horror or anything gory or scary or challenging the monster cards and all the cards and the artwork in the game are by ryan lockett he does a fantastic job with this game along with his wife and i think he had another collaborator 
with this game. That being said, the game quickly becomes very samey. Uh, the game becomes very e- easily solvable. Uh, the battles, while they are kind of cool to see the artwork that's on the cards, it comes down to a you know very simple attack mechanic. You just have to really have the accuracy or get lucky. And then you just do damage, and then maybe you get damage done to you. So it's not as dynamic as the story could be, and the story itself honestly is like sleeping gods do you want to go home or do you want to deal with the sleeping gods and then like throughout the whole rest of the campaign it's like little tiny spice of life stories where like someone steals something or there's a ghost or you meet a guy he does a thing and then like completely separate from that almost completely separate there is some cases where things come involved but almost completely separate is that kind of like final resolution so i was a little disappointed honestly i i did hope that there would be more arcs in the actual campaign instead of like the initial setup question and the initial answer. There really wasn't much into the middle gameplay heart of the game that actually came and played out at the very end. I was kind of disappointed by that. And I could see how the game becomes more challenging based upon if you did not pick up those keywords. Now, that being said, Ryan Lockett has in a lot of cases created a masterpiece here because no matter how long we played it, we had the same kind of meaningful, I want to say, but like same kind of interactions throughout. There was never like, Oh, this is broke. This doesn't work. Or I could just mess with the system. It was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. It does this. And this is kind of cool and does that. But again, for a campaign game, I want more for the story and I didn't get it. And I want more for the gameplay and it didn't add anything more or new mechanics or different ways of dealing with monsters or things. And that was kind of disappointing. So because the story part in the middle was not anything of an arc and that the end of the story was kind of simplistic And because if I want to get the other endings of the story, and I've looked at some of the endings, to be honest with you, not doesn't do anything new or radically different whatsoever, I would have to play through another, I don't know, endless number of hours of gameplay here. So it gets a very light play for me. If you are looking for a campaign game that is a real co-op and the story isn't so much you just want to kind of have more of a zen kind of situation where you're doing things and like oh uh-huh okay all right that's that's i get it oh yeah that's a thing that's a thing i you know i pick up some food i fight some monsters i heal myself wash rinse repeat sleeping gods gets a light play for me i don't recommend this game for any large group of people because it does slow the game down as people are overthinking very simplistic actions and allocations of resources i think this game plays best at one or two players i would never play this game more than two players obviously since it does have a story element to it it's probably better to share therefore two players But beyond that, this is a solo game to me. This is a solo game or two-player game. Don't play this game at 3, 4, or 5, or whatever. It just would not work. It would shut down, and there's nothing complex or dynamic to the game that would need those additional players. Play it. 
if this is your type of game, I'm not going to be coming back to this, but still a very good game, and I appreciate uh, Ryan's excellent work here. Wow. Yeah, no, it's it, it's so hard for me. Like, in these campaign games, the story games, I'm like, that's always the thing that gets to me. It's like, does the payoff work? And you don't hear enough reviews that really get into that. Not to toot our own horn, obviously, <laughs> uh, after your own review. But I'm like, that is helpful, right? Like, you want to know how it ends up without being spoiled on it so that you know if all the work you put on early, because early in these campaigns, often it's not as rewarding as later. But if then it's also not rewarding later, then you're like, what am I doing? So, no, it's good to know. Yeah, you know, I I really like Ryan Lockett's games. I, above and below, I really enjoyed a lot. It was definitely more of a worker placement game. But I like the fact that there was more mechanics involved and the story play and the choose your own adventure elements were flavor, right? One of the, mm. one of the minor adventures, and I really don't want to give it away, but just because it was such a cute little moment that I still remember in that game was I thought I was doing something good underneath, right? In the below area. And it was a really cool little tiny, nothing of a story, but I thought I was doing something good. Turned out to be bad, right? Best of tensions, it turned out. And I was kind of like taken by that. I was like, oh, that's really smart. Like now that I think about it, that makes a lot of sense. And those little story elements were fun on top of a, smart worker placement game that was a lot of fun his other games have done a lot of variations of things this again because he wanted it or because it was a campaign game had to be a lot more of that we're doing the same thing over and over again we're never at a risk of losing the game i'm sure people have lost this game please forgive me i'm not saying anything less of you but if you just play smart you should be relatively okay and honestly, it reminded me of like uh, Scythe and that campaign that you could play in that game was like, oh, it's building to something, it's building to something, it's building to something. And then it didn't, you know, at the end, the Rise of Fenris, the gameplay elements were great. I love Rise of Fenris. It is like one of my favorite expansions because it really saves Scythe for me by its all different mechanics. But like the end story was like, and here's an ending. And you're like, uh-huh. And they're like, oh, count a points. And you're like, okay. And they're like, you counted a point. So therefore you're a thing. And I'm like, I really want more story investment if it's going to be a campaign story game. And I know that's expensive. I know that's difficult to do. Mm. And I know I'm asking board game designers to be writers <laughs> or bring in a writer. And I know that, Writers are artisans, just like painters and designers and everything else, and it's expensive. I just feel terribly bad to say that this is just an okay game when the artwork and the gameplay, like, it just missed a story. Like, it had a good beginning, it had a good end, it had a couple of moments in between, but, like, there was just nothing. When you're playing so many hours of it, it's like Gloomhaven, when you play so many hours of it, you want something, you know, like at least at Gloomhaven, you switch up your characters a bit and there's some town elements to it. I didn't get that here. I was kind of sad about that. Mm. So a lot of hours, a lot of hours for a game. And I just, I just need more out of a game if it's going to be that many hours. So, all right. All right. So that's our at the table. 
All right, now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week. Anthony, we are not following the rules, and we're talking about don't follow the rules games. Games that you should not follow the rules or scoring or bring in house rules or any other variations that makes the game better. Or maybe you just play it that way. You know about those games, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, these are the games that you bring out and you say, hey, this is technically how you're supposed to play, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah, games are supposed to be Um, fun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, this is a thing, and it's a funny thing, too, because I've been teaching, I mentioned this in a couple episodes recently, I've been teaching a course about uh, rhetoric and composition with board games. And so I bring games in, and I teach them to students, uh, freshman students, mostly. And sometimes I tell them, like, you know what, don't worry about this rule, or, or just, like, just one. One of our listeners mentioned that on Facebook. And I told them, like, I know you read the rules. They're in front of you, and it says to keep score this way. I don't recommend doing that because it makes the game less fun, right? And one of the groups absolutely did it anyways, and they absolutely said it wasn't as fun. <laughs> so um, some games just are not as much fun if you keep score. Some games are not as much fun if you follow the exact rules as written. Uh, you know, you might disagree. Your group might enjoy keeping score in concept or just one. But, you know, we I think generally people agree that the game's supposed to be fun. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. Sure in certain situations. Yeah, and again, there's a lot of ways to talk about this. We could make a top 10, but if we did, we'd be following the rules, so we're not doing that. Because we don't follow your rules, man. Nope. (laughs) So, Anthony... This week? Yeah, this week alone. Follow the rules next week. (laughs) Which is really, honestly, it's kind of funny, because what is a board game, but honestly, like, rules, right? It's a bunch of abstract rules that you play in this kind of world... And by playing by the rules, you have fun. And when you don't play by the rules, typically you yes. don't have fun. Or other people don't have fun. But here, yeah. you do. The thing, though, like, a lot of board games, like, the fun comes from the stuff that isn't in the yes. rules. Right? Yeah, it's true. Like, whether it's an unspoken rule or just an assumed rule, like, you just, certain things you discover as you play, you're like, oh, this is fun. But the, the designer didn't tell me I should do this. <laughs> so it can work the opposite way where oh, the designer told me to do this. Well, that's not fun. Let's not do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, let's get into some of those games. So, Anthony, our listeners already talked about one of these. And this is something I already had on my list. It's a, it's a favorite game of mine. And I think for you, too, this is concept. Now, yeah. as we've described concept many times, it's charade for introverts. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, yep. right? I don't know why they're scoring in this game. You can actually I, yeah. get points, and the <laughs> points are like these little light bulbs, and they're in the game. There's like multiples, and like every time I play this game, people are like, "What are those?" I'm like, "Don't worry about it. It makes no sense. Just ignore it. Like if you get it, you got it, right? And you win. You win that round, or you win that game, or you did a thing." But you don't point score a game. Like, oh, you did a this this one and you get a this. No, no, no. Why? Why is that component in the game? I don't understand that. That makes no sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. No, it, like it actively confuses people. And honestly, it undermines how people play the Wait, game. Whoa, whoa. Because then they start. Are you saying that it undermines the concept of the game? Huh? 
Oh my uh, gosh, uh, we did it. Uh. We got the game name in there. But but it really does. Like if you play this and people are trying to score, they start like gaming each yeah. other. Which honestly, in a lot of games and party games, that's the fun yes. part. Is like you get into the meta part of it and you try to like mess with how people are perceiving each other and how you're thinking about the concepts of the game. Again, concept. <laughs> uh but in this particular game, that's not no. fun. Because then people start like running through different permutations of the same words. It's the same thing in charades when someone's like, they just keep repeating the same cluster of words, hoping to land on the right exact language for whatever is being acted out. It's not fun. It's not as fun. Don't do that. I remember we played this when we had BGA live and we played concept and it's like, you're playing and it's giving out the points and everyone's like, what, why? No, don't, we don't want, no. Yeah. And again, when you play, considering our society or humanity or whatever you want to say is very competitive or wants to win or whatever the ego kind of thing is, the fact that people don't want points and don't want to have an opportunity to win, I mean, it really says something about the game. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, yeah. just, it's kind of funny. All right, another game that does something very similar, Anthony, is one of the new games that I've recently been talking about. This was a new or a new-ish Kickstarter. Uh, this is Canvas. I recently reviewed this, and again, I was really happy to get this game because it was one of those situations when the original Kickstarter came out, I was like, hey, this is really too expensive for what this game is. I'm going to leave this alone. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, this is an amazing game. And I'm like, okay, cool. Expansion came out called Reflections, and the Deluxe Edition came out. So I'm like, clearly it's going to be more complex and be worth the money and then we played the game and it's still a good game but for some reason again it has scoring to how you put together these really nice pieces of artwork into a sleeved card and you're supposed to score points over these arbitrary symbols on the bottom of the card and honestly like i'm playing the game and i'm just like oh i'm gonna go for the silver because reasons right like there's no rhyme or reason to it and it's just like, why am I muddling or bringing down my fun of creating really interesting artworks from these plastic cars that kind of flip over with this new expansion in order to try to mid-max points to a game that is supposed to be about the artwork that you design and put together in a card? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, th- this was a game that, like, I remember this thinking it as I'm playing it, the scoring mechanism completely undercuts the thematic purpose of the game. The thematic purpose of the game is to create the best artwork through the scoring. You ignore what the actual art is on the cards and you just focus on the symbols at the bottom. I created some truly ugly, terrible (laughs) artwork (laughs) because it scored more points. Exactly. And then thematically you're like, why would this score points? It looks terrible. It's a meatball (laughs) hanging over a car driving through the apocalypse it doesn't make any sense it's awful it's ugly this is not what the game should be but and there's honestly there's no way they could have done this where all the things that scored well would have looked good that's impossible yeah i I don't blame the designers for this and it needs some kind of scoring mechanism for people who want to play it seriously but if i ever play this with my children i would absolutely tell them not to worry about the score because who cares (laughs) just make something cool yeah yeah again 
maybe I don't know. Maybe they could have. Maybe they could have found a way to do it with some sort of scoring. But again, like you said, Anthony, if the point of canvas is producing these unique, beautiful, wonderful, complex works of art, then the scoring needs to follow that, and it doesn't. And yeah. maybe you could have done that. I don't no. know. Again, the complexity level that that would have taken. Maybe you can employ some sort of AI or something. But that is not this game, mm. right? And I think the, the expansion kind of acknowledges it because I bought the deluxe version because, again, I like artwork. I'm going to admit it. Like, look, I'm that guy. I like the artwork in the games. I like to look at something beautiful while I'm playing a game. And I wanted to have all the, the cards and the sleeves and things like that. They put in with the expansion, the deluxe version, whatever it is, like these two, they're supposed to be like medals or awards or something. They're, they're little pins. And like one's like best in show or something. So like you can you can play the game based on just hey, you know which which artwork looks the best. But I like as soon as I start playing the game, I'm like, all right, you can take up to five cards in your hand. So just draw five cards, you know, from the market. Try to lean into like a particular scoring groove, and then build a card. Right? Like why else would you do that? But again, that goes completely against the game. And if you really want to play canvas and enjoy it create the best works of art possible, skip the scoring, and enjoy the game. All right, another game that's all about beautiful artwork is Dixit. Now, Dixit has, again, Mm. numerous, endless numbers of expansions. I've tried to collect all of them. I think I'm missing one or two at least. It's kind of weird for me to say that, right? There are very few games that I'm still continuing to buy all the things despite the fact that I don't play with all the things. But Dixit was this unique game because you had these tarot-sized, wondrous, interesting, abstract, mysterious works of art from numerous amazing designers and artists. And basically the game comes down to you pick one of your own cards from your hand of multiple different pieces of you know odd and beautiful and strange artwork. You play it down on the board and then you're going to have the, or I'm sorry, before you play it down, I guess you could play it down the board and you you will give a clue, right? So you could say, you know, the winds of winter. And then everyone looks at their cards and they play a card down there that they believe is close to that because what you want to have happen is for someone to pick your work of art and, is, you know, and think it's the person who actually played that card because you're going to mix the cards up. You're going to flip them over. People are going to pick. And as the person who is playing the game, you want to ensure that some people get it, but not all the people get it. Cool. It has crazy numbers of points scoring. It has everyone trying to figure out like whose work of art and stuff like that. That's very fun and cool. The fact that three versus five people might have gotten it is not interesting at all. It's a lot more interesting that everyone gets to see the artwork it's a lot more interesting that you thought of a unique clue that not everyone got, but some people got. That's really the fun of Dixit. It's just, I've played Dixit with people who've never played board games before and just see their fascination of the cards, just as they look at what, what's come into their hand. That's the game. A Dixit. It's a, it's, a, it's a great game, a lot of fun. But yeah, scoring? Scoring, right? Scoring. Yeah, when you get into scoring with this game, it becomes like a weird psychological thing. And... I remember playing this as part of a tournament back in the myriad days. You mentioned that (laughs) and doing very, very well. 
And the only reason I did well is because I completely ignored the artwork and just thought about the people yes. who were giving the clues and who was guessing. Like, and that makes the game significantly less fun. I remember thinking for years I didn't like Dixit after playing it like those four times that mm-hmm. day. And again, I did very well in those in that tournament. I think I was first or second in that game. But I didn't like it afterwards because it, that's not the point of the that's game. The point, yeah. So having played it more recently in a family setting with people that I like and enjoy <laughs> spending time with, I was like, oh, that's that's the point of the game is to view the beautiful artwork and kind of compare how you see it. That's fun. Yeah. So yeah, 100% on yeah. this one. Uh, next up in the scoring realm is almost an endless number of games. We can't name all the games because there's far too many, but... Think apples to apples. Think cards against humanity. Uh, think fun employment. Mm. Think choking hazard. I mean, there's just so many of those games where basically it comes down to you or someone either gives a clue or a card comes out to a board, and then everyone has to play cards onto that joke, that image, that clue, that word. And then a judge will choose the best out of those that have been placed down again randomly so no one knows. The fun of that game comes into the stuff that's thrown onto the board and typically the one that makes you laugh or really engages with you. Yeah. That's it. The fact that you actually score in those games is ridiculous. Makes zero so sense. Stupid. Just no reason to it. <laughs> And I honestly, I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just don't know why. Yeah, I, I can't remember a single game of any of these. And I've played many, many of them over the years. Where this, I mean, we always kept score, but I can't remember who won, why they won, or any of that. What I remember is the particular answers that people would be very excited about or find very funny. Like, those are the things you remember about the game, regardless of the score. Yeah. So, yeah, keeping the score doesn't make any sense. And honestly, really, the funny thing, too, is like for all of the vulgarity in cards against humanity like the the game that's actually like shocked and engaged me probably more than that was apples to apples which is the original game because if you're able to make something funny out of ordinary that's genius you know throwing a bunch of four letter words on the table doesn't take much talent i'm sorry it just it just doesn't yeah (laughs) so nonetheless all right well again Continuing our little talk about games particular that don't matter in, in the scoring section here, Anthony, I'm going to you know, jump into one of maybe your favorites. You have more to say about this than I do, but I know we've talked about this, is solo game scoring. So, And in particular, those solo games that at the end of the game, you count up points and see how you did according to a chart. Yeah, these are the worst. And it... It's such a stressful thing to to work through because you want to have something at the end of these games, right? And these tend to be Euro mm-hmm. games almost exclusively. They're games like Uwe Rosenberg games or games like those kinds of games where worker placement or tableau building or something where you're creating some kind of engine for yourself that's going to score points regardless. And it feels like they should be able to come up with a better way to score it mm-hmm. or give you some kind of sense of accomplishment. But then you get to the end and you're like, all right, I have some arbitrary number of points. And you look up in the chart and you're like, okay, cool. I'm a advanced explorer, which is two levels below the super explorer. 
<laughs> which would be the best possible. I don't know what this any of this means. This is stupid. I don't enjoy this at all. The act of playing the game is fun. Yeah. You get to play through the rules by yourself. You get to do all the cool things that you would do in that game. Go build your engine, explore the different mechanics. But the actual, like the final thing where you score it is dumb. Yeah. And that's not to say I don't like to have scored solo games. Oh, yeah. I like Terra- Terraform and Mars is one of my favorite solo games because it gives you a goal to work yes. towards and a score mm-hmm. to determine how well you defeated that goal, right? But, you know, scoring a, F- a Feast for Odin, for example, or Caverna, I I don't really keep track. I just mark if I've won yes. or not, which is meeting whatever threshold yeah. they give me. And the threshold is usually 100 points for a, a Rosenberg mm-hmm. game. So... Yeah, stop doing that because <laughs> these games are already multiplayer solo games, which I don't even like that phrase, but that's what yeah. they are. And come up with a creative way to make it interesting because a lot of designers do figure out a way to do that. So do that. <laughs> yeah, and on that same account, the story games, right? I just talked about Sleeping Gods, mm. but there are a lot of games that are choose your own adventure kind of games. When you play those games, and because they're story games or they're campaign games, you're looking for the story. You want the story. When you play Gloomhaven, it's the story of your characters. It's the story of Gloomhaven that comes together and the mystery and the intrigue and the, the slights turns here and there. I just want the story. I just want, like, please invest in the story. I don't care right. what my point score was. I just want to read the ending of the story. That's really the only thing that matters to me there. So... Any of those games, especially those games or co-op games with individual scoring, which was mentioned brilliantly earlier, that, you know, it's always going to be a problem. Those margin Marvel Legendary games, I think even Defenders of the Realm has yeah. one of those where it's like, if you defeated the most type of a thing, like you became like the Dragon Master or something. So all of those things, not having it, not doing it. All right. So again, those are the scoring things. Another kind of thing that I don't follow the rules, Anthony, is games that give us particular starting characters or races or bonuses or things like that. And now I do follow those because I love asymmetrical gameplay, especially starting Mm. those things off. But oftentimes they'll be like, hey, let's give you a random race, follow, creed, character, whatever it might be. I mean, most recently I played... Seven Wonders Architect, which is a very simplistic game, but it's just like, here's a random race. It's like, you know what? Every game of this type or ilk, right? Whether it's Seven Wonders Straight or Seven Wonders Architect or any number of these games where there is a number of races, characters, powers, things like that. I use all of those. I don't just give like, oh, give each one two and let them choose from. Like, no, if I have enough to give everyone three or four, or in some cases, if I can let them choose, like if it doesn't break the game, why wouldn't I? Right? Why would I why would I limit the selection there? Right? Like if you're playing Takaido, Takaido has a lot of different characters you get to play with. And I'm playing with three players. Am I only gonna pick out pull out six of the different characters? No, I'm gonna pull out all of them and split them out, and let everyone get to choose what they want. Like it, it's Again, the game's not going to be broken by that, right? There's not one character that's more powerful than the other. If you're going to play, you know, Cosmic Encounter, let people choose what they want to play as. Like, why would you do that? Oh, my gosh, yeah. There's so many fun characters. It's like 30 in the yeah, box. why would you do that? Here's one random one. Like, 
I can't tell you how many games I've played where I've been like, hey, can I not play as this character that you randomly gave me because I played as them like two times before and I'm bored as heck. So let yeah. people play, man. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's so many games that are like, yeah, pick two or pull two or pull yeah. three or whatever it might be. You know, like off the top of my head, Twilight Imperium yeah. does that. It has, with the expansion, there's 20-something factions. Why would you ever not give people as many options as they could possibly want? Uh, Dune Imperium we played recently. It also tells you to like pull out two or three per character. No, <laughs> just pass them around. <laughs> like, who cares? If everybody's really experienced and you get to the situation where ev- people have specific ones they want to work with, mm-hmm. then sure, maybe you need to have a draft. You pull out six or seven, you draft them in some particular order. That's fine. But anytime people have played le- any game less than like five times, just go to town. <laughs> Everybody pick whatever they want, whatever looks cool to you, go in whatever order you want. Uh, more options, the better. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about some actual rules that we generally want to break or rules that don't really make a difference. So one of the games that I know everyone loves and I have all the kinds of problems with it, but somehow I do enjoy the most important element to me, uh, that game is Galaxy Trucker. And man, do I love to build a spaceship. But man, do I not care what happens after I build that spaceship. So you get a box full of these flipped over tiles and as the game goes you have this speed element right whoever is able to complete their ship first gets to go first so you really want to get your ship done as quickly as possible but you want to be aware of all the different things that you want to build that you're going to need in the game when you play the game you almost have no control over what happens to you or why it happens so asteroids lasers how things blow up how things hit your ship could just, you could just walk away and that game kind of plays itself out. But the building of this, of the Galaxy Trucker is really the fun part of the game, flipping over build the tile. So every time I play Galaxy Trucker, I don't play by that, you know, whoever finishes first wins, right? Because I just want everyone to build a spaceship that they really like because they're going to play a game that's almost going to be so random and chance-based that, like, just enjoy the ride. You build something cool, see what happens to it, right? So, yeah, I don't play by that rule in Galaxy Trucker. That is a good one to yeah. kill. Yeah. Now, another game that's interesting that we've talked about a lot, it tends to be a kid's game, but I know, Anthony, you and I have had a lot of fun with this. This is Ice Cool, and it's all about penguins mm, yeah. in a school, and they're trying to yeah. avoid getting <laughs> caught by the hall monitor. And again, it's a kid's game, man. And it's penguins that you flick around a board. <laughs> why? Why are you like? Why are you trying to bring extra rules into this? Like every time I play this game, I'm like, oh, you get a card that gives you a fish, and you lost your ID. And they're like, can't we just go around the board and like do really cool, quick, you know, flip moves? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. Like again, play the game about knocking each other around the board skip again the scoring rules so to speak but i would skip the mechanic that actually is about chasing just have fun with high school it's a kid's game man now yes the the way i play this with my kids is we we have ice cool one and mm-hmm. two we set them both up and connect yeah. them and we just play tag you just yeah. one person gets two free moves and then you just try to catch them i think it's great and that's yeah. it and that's all we do and if you catch them you get a point and that's that's the game and 
that's the most fun that they have with this game. If you actually play with the actual rules, they get very frustrated yeah. very quickly. And honestly, the fun thing about that that game is like those penguins are really cool pieces. They're very dynamic. Like the way yeah. you flick them and the yeah. weight in that, the balance in that game, that the moves that they make, how they spin and flip and jump, like really, really cool pieces. Mm-hmm. So I get the idea that they had a cool concept about the game unpacking to a you know a board and those penguins are amazing, but the gameplay was a kind of a letdown. Anthony, I never thought that we I would actually connect these two games together. Ice Cool and John Company. But yeah. <laughs> talk about a game that uh runs on a rail, right? And you're just there for the ride, brother. So John Company was a game Anthony and I played way back in the day. Uh Eddie, if he's listening, he knows like he had like <laughs> teaching materials and like rule break rule book breakdowns and like historical documents and stuff to read about this game because John company was supposed to be like the end all be all of like really smart, dynamic board gaming. And I don't know what happened because when you play the game itself, this decisions are kind of written for you. And we've actually talked about this in the game. We're like, uh, Seems like the only thing I could do is this one thing. It's not even like a choice of two. It just seems like it's one thing. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty much that one thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that one thing. And like, as you keep playing the game, you're like, well, seems like this next thing is really, there's only one choice here. And Cole Worley puts together some amazing games, but this game, again, is supposed to be playing out this again thematic story about the British East Indian Company, and there is no game to the game. It is a simulation, and you're just enjoying the ride. And I don't know why there are rules this game. I just don't know why. I'm like, what am I doing here? Can I go home? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It's a it's it's a great simulation game, Anthony. It's a good game to watch. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's a really cool experience. That's what I'm saying. It's just yeah, the the game, the yeah, the gameplay of it. It was like it didn't make a lot of sense. There is a 2.0 version yes. coming that was on Kickstarter yes. recently, so we will see. Maybe there's more <laughs> game in it now. Cole Worley, his last three or four things that he's put out have been amazing, like mind-bogglingly good. So I'm assuming it'll be better. And to be fair, but, man, that first play of that, I'm like, what? Yeah. Is and this? to be fair, so, his games that are super amazing are typically second editions. So. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll certainly see that again here. But again, I don't know. And again, it's really hard. And I'm Eddie, sorry, man, but that that is that is not a game. <laughs> what about you, Anthony? You got a game for us? Yeah, I mean, going back to the rules or the scoring thing we talked about, um, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective was always an interesting one for me because the whole fun of that game is that you have a mystery you're trying to solve. You're going through the newspaper. You're going through the different things in the rule book. You're solving. You're like, you're trying to put all the pieces together, but there's like a weird cutoff where you decide, okay, we're done looking because we're running out of time. There's like a weird timer built into the book. And then you have to check whether you have solved the case as effectively as Sherlock Holmes did. Cause you're not actually Sherlock Holmes in this case. You're like the Baker street, you know, dozen or whatever they are. And then it, it kind of runs through like, Oh, you got this right. Not that you get like a certain number of points that come out of it based on how you performed. 
and which things you got right. You have to answer these different questions. And I always found that to be anticlimactic. Like you want to solve the mystery. Now you, the trouble with any of these mystery games is you have to solve the mystery (laughs) in full. And this is a way to kind of do it part way, but assigning points to that is like, uh, I just don't like it. You know, you want to have, I did it or I didn't do it. Like if you're watching a mystery movie or reading a mystery book, there's a certain amount you get right and a certain amount you get wrong and the rest is surprising. Right. And that's what you want the game to feel like. And the game doesn't feel like that. The game is just like, no, you're wrong. You're like, okay, lame. (laughs) Let's try it again. Um, And you know, it's, it's a really fun system. And there's like four of these with five, six mysteries each. I wish it was just more dynamic. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's a big thing. All right, well, take us to a little bit of a smaller game, Anthony. Maybe there's something there to play. Yeah, so Uno. Hey, Uno. <laughs> Uno is a game I play with my kids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uno is like, it, everybody's played Uno. Everybody knows Uno. Um, Uno is a game that you almost never play to completion. And most people don't realize they don't play it to completion because you play a full round. You see who wins. And then you all walk away and call it a day. Mm -hmm. But the way Uno is supposed to be played is when you finish the game, you put your last card out. Other people will gain points based on how many cards they have left in their hands. And those go to you, Mm -hmm. right? You're trying to get to 500 points to be the winner of Uno, which what that makes Uno is a two to three hour game, (laughs) which is not okay. Not even a little bit. No. Not okay. <laughs> Not playing Uno for two to three hours. Uh, 500 points is crazy. So <laughs> you play best two out of three. You plus play best three out of five. You do not play points in Uno. No. I don't know anybody who plays points in Uno. I didn't even know you could play points in Uno until one of my students wrote a paper about Uno yeah. that said there was points in Uno. I'm like, oh, well, that's terrible and that stupid. Terrible. And we should never do that. <laughs> um. The game can go like a single round of this can go on for 20 or 30 minutes because you just keep throwing cards back at each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fun in isolation. It's not fun (laughs) in a broader scale. And whoever wrote that rule is crazy. Yeah, I think there I think it's become such a meme, too. And there's actually been Twitter conversation from players where typically gamers will say, hey, I have this you know, game question is, can you answer this and and such? And typically the thing about Uno is according to the rules, and especially in this meme, you could actually find this on Twitter. People have asked, can you play a plus two on top of a plus two? And Mm. Uno has said (laughs) no. And people have responded back and gotten like all the support in the world and said, you don't know how to play the game right. (laughs) Or... You know, thanks for the cards. We'll take it from here. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the fact that you cannot stack draw two on draw twos or draw fours on draw fours or such and such and such is just crazy because there is very few games or moments in life when someone's about to go out and has said Uno and you're holding like a handful of cards and they're. They assume they're going to win. They know they're going to win. It's go. They're going to win, right? There's nothing else about it. And you're like, plus two, plus two, plus two, reverse, plus two, plus two. like, like, you know, plus four. You just and you just you could see their soul just just 
evaporating. <laughs> and yeah. the fact that you can't do that, even though it seems like it would play out in the rules like that, you know, I, again, don't play by these rules, man. Like, just reverse it. No. Reverse it. Don't don't play by the rules, so to speak. <laughs> so Una reverse. Exactly. So again, thank you to everyone who's, you know, joined us at the table and given us all the games that they don't follow rules. Again, there are so many games like the attack cards we mentioned earlier and just so many different opportunities to play a game in a better way. And the variants that you all come out with just really make game greater and bring so many more people to the table. So thanks for that flexibility because it's what making gaming great. All right, everyone. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table, even if it's against the rules. See ya.